welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. And tonight we're going to be discussing a topic that I've found that when I've discussed this on radio, everybody kind of melts. There is something about Italy that everybody loves. I, whether you're a hardened, tough guy or a softy or an art lover or a food lover, there's just something about the boot that draws you in. And I know that's the case for my guest for this show. She is Susan Van Allen. She has written several books about Italy. And one of the reasons I wanted to have her on the show is it is the 10th anniversary of the uh, publication of 100 Places in Italy, Every Woman Should Go. So welcome to the Fromer Travel Show, Susan. Oh, what a setup, Paulina. <laughs> it's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Susan. Really? Thank you. So, uh, so tell me, how did you get started as a travel expert to Italy? I mean, what was it about Italy that draw, drew you in? And uh, give us a little bit about your history with the country. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Well, it all began at the dining room table in Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> My maternal grandparents were immigrants from Italy, mm-hmm. from the South, as many East Coast Italians, <laughs> Americans uh, will trace their roots back to Molise, which is um, south, kind of in, in the mid-south of Italy, and Potenza. And so these Nan and Papa would have the big classic Sunday dinners, and uh, my gateway loved Italy, came through the food, the pasta, and it was this wow. loving spirit, and I caught on to it so at such a young age. And then when I started to see pictures of the David and piazzas and the Pieta, and I I knew I had to get there. So I got there as soon as I could right after high school with, um, sorry, a let's go Europe uh, under my arm. And I'm sure I used plenty of of (laughs) promise guides in my trips to Italy, which you're, uh, thank you for so much. So helpful. And, um, well, let, then, let me ask you, did you speak Italian? Did, did your grandparents give you that gift or did you have to learn it later on? Yes, I did have to learn it later on, but I did overhear it a lot growing up. It was the, it was the secret language of adults, which I imitated a lot when I was little, but they never sat down and taught me because there was a big push to assimilate and become American. Mm. Sure. That, that's very interesting. I have friends from New York City uh, who grew up in the village and their parents, uh, also immigrants, never fully learned English. And so they, well, because wow. they lived in Little Italy, there were enough people there. And now when they go to Italy, they're totally fluent. So I'm, I'm kind of jealous of them. Really? That's great. I know. I wish, especially I wish that they'd be alive now, my grandparents, to teach mm. me the, the dialect because it's so different. You know, Where exactly in the south of Italy were they from? 
Uh, well, my grandmother was from a little village called Vincituro, which is south of Campobasso, which is the capital of Molise. And my grandfather was from Potenza, which is in the province of Basilicata, which is most famous for Matera, known as the yeah. cave city. So a very poor rural region. And um, they were happy to come to America and they were happy to retain their traditions. And I'm grateful for that. Right. Yeah, well, and interestingly, I mean, the immigration patterns to Italy were very different than from other parts of the world because many people went back and forth. They they went, they moved from Italy to the U.S., made a lot of money, and then ended their days in Italy rather than staying in the U.S. But I guess your grandparents stayed here. Yes, they did. They did. But my grandfather would go back and visit after he retired. And I would see him off on the ship from the port of Newark, which was so exciting. And then when he brought back like lace from the South or, or beads from Venice, that was another lore that I had that said, oh, I must go to Italia. Yeah, well, I've always wanted to go to Matera. Matera, I think two years ago, it was named the European City of Culture, which meant that it, yeah, exactly. it got descended upon by thousands of artists and dancers and performers of all sorts. Uh, and for our listeners, you may have seen Matera but not known that you were seeing it because Matera is this ancient city. It's one of the oldest uh, continually inhabited cities on the planet. And so it's been used as a stand-in for Jerusalem in many films. I believe it was Mel Gibson who used it in, in, in um, oh my goodness, it was a Jesus movie. Yes, I, like, uh, I know. I, I wanted to say The Last Temptation of Christ, but it wasn't. Yeah. It was the other Mel Gibson movie, The Passion. Yes, yes. Right, right. Exactly. And when, and when you talk about poverty, I mean, I, look, I want to hear your, your take on Matera, but I was so taken with the fact that in the 1950s, the poverty there was so deep uh, with people living in these caves with their livestock that the government kicked them all out of the caves. And it wasn't until I think the 1980s or the 1990s that people started moving back into the caves and creating hotels and restaurants. Yeah, I've always right. wanted to go. Yes. Oh, it is. It's fascinating because as old as it is, as usual, when neighborhoods get re <laughs> revitalized, it was a lot of young people that mm. started doing it. Yeah. And so they moved in, you know, there are art galleries. It's just, um, you know, as sad as it may sound to visit a place you know, that, that was such poverty. Now it has this new energy to it. And it's really very exciting to see how, you know, the cycle of, of a place and, and how it's being revived. Yeah. And many of them, have great grandparents that when they or grandparents that when they were kicked out in the 50s even though they were sent to housing that had plumbing and all this stuff they missed the community of living in the caves hmm. and so now they're creating that again which is it's pretty wonderful to see now i know you leave you lead a lot of uh tours to italy uh which you call golden weeks in italy for women do you go to Matera yes. or where do you go? 
No, uh, not not yet. I'm sure we'll be expanding because over the eight years I've been leading these tours that came out of my book, when I, I brought this book out into the public, 100 Places in Italy Every Woman Should Go, and did book tours, and women started raising their hands and saying, well, I'd love to go with you. And I said, I don't lead tours. <laughs> I didn't think that I was the, the, the that was a thing, but I, I do now. And uh, one of our most popular places is being based in Sorrento um, and doing mm. in that area and the Amalfi Coast and going to Capri. And I mean, talk about a nurturing soul and why everybody loves Italy. It's really expressed there. And so it's a great balance of doing our beautiful outdoor Think boating and then seeing Pompeii, which is so fascinating, and also Naples and eating great pizza. And so that's a great tour. And I also go to Florence, which is very feminine, I think, you know, with all the great beauties in art that were painted there. And so it's. I think I once read that Florence has a third of all of the UNESCO World Heritage Sites in Italy. And Italy has something like a third of those on the planet. So when you talk about art rich, it's it's just explosively oh. art rich. Yes, it is. So much to be enjoyed. Now, talking a little bit about Naples, I'm so glad you go there. A lot of people feel that Naples is, is dangerous. It's gritty. But that's what I like about the city, that it feels like the the Italy that you saw maybe in the film films of Fellini. You know, it's just yes, still has exactly. that feeling. Yes, and especially I feel for us East Coasters, since so many Italians came from the South, I feel like the minute that I get off the train or the plane and I see the faces and I see the attitudes, the hands, the the volume, <laughs> it feels like the family and the people, uh, the Italians I grew up with and knew so well. And yes, Naples does have not a great reputation. And like any other city, we we are mindful of not throwing our wallets in our back pocket that's bulging right. or something like that. Sure. Um, you know, it could happen in Rome. It could happen in New York City. Sure. Um, but it also, it's interesting because it also has a very elegant side to it. Um, mm. the, it, it has a history of being, you know, for the French were there and, and it has some grand cafe gambriness and it has mm. a beautiful art museum up on the hill, the Capa de Monte that has Caravaggio's and even some Raphael's. So it's interesting that so much of it, I think so much of what people is attracted to is that pizza rough and tumble yes. thing. But, uh, you know, just ex- to expand artisans and a very wealthy, kind of noble population also. Well, speaking, yes, yeah, speaking of artisans, one of the top things to do there, especially at this time of year, is you go to the street. And I'm hoping you remember the name of it because I <laughs> Gregorio <do not>. Armeno. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, where artisans for centuries have created Christmas crushes. Uh, and you walk up and down the street and, and there are dozens of little figurines often oh. done 
in the visage of current celebrities. So you could put, I don't know, you know, a, a famous soccer star in your manger. Right, <laughs> right. It's true. And it's, a, it's an amazing place to wander around. It really is. I mean, and to really take your time. And yeah, so many of people just take pictures, but I would say buy a little something to support uh, these artisans. And uh, my favorite there, if you have pen, is Ferino, which has been around for generations since the 1800s. And every year wow. they keep up with current events and do the, the, um, traditional things but um i put up a picture actually on my facebook page that they have the three the magi holding covid green passes in their hands this year oh my goodness because you know they're traveling and they need to do it correctly yeah isn't that crazy so you say that that give the name of the shop again it's called Ferin, Ferino, F-E-R-R-I-G-N-O. And you'll see Marco Ferino. You can even go in and go upstairs. And what I love about artisan shopping in Italy is so many times you could see them at work and just the delicate motions that it takes to make these mm. things. And and are these, are the artisans the great, 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 grandchildren of the people who started the show yes absolutely yes they kept it in the family and it's wonderful to see the dedication and the the wonderful artistry they bring to it yes absolutely so that's that's one of the artisan shops that i do you visit it when you are on your tours Oh, absolutely. Yes. When we go, uh, when we go to our day in Naples, our bags get filled up with everybody has good (laughs) Christmas ornaments that comes on my trips. And what other shopping do you do or recommend? Because tis the season for shopping and shopping in Italy is is pretty damn amazing. It is, you know, I say, you know, so many people make museum lists and restaurant lists, but what's really also important is to know what artisan traditions are going on in the places Mm. where you're visiting because that will give you a much better focus on um on what to shop for for example in venice they have a great tradition of glass of glass making on the island of morano which can be reached easily Mm. and you could go into workshops there and buy beads or vases and um it's just uh, and usually if you're going to buy something big you have it shipped back which from the right stores are very very reliable very expensive though isn't it it is. Well, you know, the gas, it's, it's a very, it's very expensive things to do there. And you could always buy a small piece of jewelry that has sure, a beautiful sure. Morano glass bead on it. And right. it'll, it, and also when you spend money on these things, like I have a box uh, from, of, that was made from inlaid wood from Sorrento that was my grandmother's. Now, maybe she splurged a little on it, but Hmm. look how many years, if you divide it by a hundred, 
You know, you know, you know. That's very true. Yes, it becomes something that you pass down. And when you look at it, you always I have a, a set of bowls that I bought in the uh, city of Deruta in Umbria, oh. Italy. They're getting cracked. They're getting chipped. I really need to replace them. But it breaks my heart because I made they were actually made by a female artisan, uh, which was rather unusual in that city. Right. Most of the artisans were male. We met her and we talked with her. And so I have this emotional connection with the bowls. I can't just throw them out. <laughs> That's right. And the Druta is something else we should talk about. Yes. It is the city of ceramics, probably one of the biggest in the world. I mean, yeah. it's not like it's a big city. It's, I would say it's more of like a mountain, one of the region of Umbria, which is in the middle of Italy. Right next to Tuscany. Uh, right. A beautiful mountainous landlocked region. Uh, that has, because of the hills, a lot of pottery tradition, and out of any of them, because of of clay in the yes, hills, why clay in the oh, hills, okay. yes, yes, and Deruta has a tradition that goes back all the way to the Renaissance in making hmm. pottery, and it's uninterrupted, which is amazing, right. Yeah. yeah, it seems like some of it is factory-like. Some of it looked like stuff just for the tourists. But um, uh, in our farmer's uh-huh. guide, <laughs> which was written <laughs> back then, this was probably 20 years ago, it was written by a really wonderful author named Reed Bramblett. Uh, yeah, he sent us to this one specific shop, and, and she had true treasures there. Yeah. Yes. I hope she's still in business. That's the that's going to be the interesting thing coming out of this. You were just in Italy, right? How many of your artisans and restaurants and, and other folks are still going to be in business when people return? What was it like to be in Italy at this time? Oh, you know, I I was uh, proceeding with caution mm-hmm. as I decided to go, which I think we all should, and, and we realize we probably all do when we travel. Um, so I, I I landed in Venice, and one of the first places I went to was uh, the Tragicomica mask shop that mm. I always go to. And there Alessandra was, the artisan, and she pointed me to a wall of masks that were used during the plague. You might know them. They have a big beak. Because yes. they they they're called the doctor's mask, so they the doctors would stuff that beak with um, uh, ammonia herbs, soaked or right? herbs, yes, yeah, something so that they could gather. Oh, this is sad. The bodies from the plague. But she said, right. "Look, we survived that. We are going to oh. survive." And oh I goodness. feel like wow. this is the Italians' attitude. I mean, there didn't seem to be as much tension around things like wearing masks on a train, you know, wearing masks when it mm. was mandatory and things like that. Um, when was this specifically? This was in, this was in October. So it was okay. pre-Omicron. I know that now yeah. <laughs> it's mandatory outside and you know, we're going through another one of the humps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like Italians have a much they're just relaxed. This is another reason why we like them so much. Yes, absolutely. You know, my daughter was in Italy this summer. She's in college. And amazingly, one of her best friends there has an ancestral home outside in the outside of Lecce. 
Uh, and oh, yes, beautiful. his father was an architecture professor, happily enough, luckily enough, and he took her around. And she said she was walking around Florence where she hadn't been since she was pretty small, so she didn't remember it. And I said, was it elbow to elbow with people? And she's like, no, we were we were some of the only people there. So it, it seems wow. like she saw Italy with just the Italians, which is one of the perks of traveling during these, this pandemic era. Did you find it pretty uncrowded? Yes, that's true. Well, I missed that very uncrowded part when I was there in October, but I was with a lot of German and French tourists and Mm -hmm. I really, I saw the difference and maybe one of the reasons why uh, Italians love American tourists so much. I mean, they're much more held back, I think, in their excitement about Italy and Uh, quieter uh, and more reserved in their reactions to things and so i i really know why italians splash the big smile when the americans come back yeah sure did you find that you had to have advanced reservations for everything i mean had the process of traveling changed a lot yes the museums now require required it and uh, what was interesting was a lot of the restaurants that I really love in Venice and Rome that are very popular, they were, I thought I wouldn't have trouble booking maybe a few days in advance, but they were fully booked up. And so the people that are coming back, I think, are the discerning kind of travelers that make advanced restaurant reservations. So hmm. that's a tip to, to do, yeah. go ahead and do it. No, absolutely. And uh, did you, when you put together a tour, how many people are on your tours and and do you have advanced reservations for everything or do you ever just wander and go into a place that looks interesting? Uh, Well, for for our, uh, the tours are 14. We like to keep Mm -hmm. it uh, in a family, that's you know, kind yeah. of a big Italian family size. <laughs> so that uh, it helps us blend in more also. Like we could go to a restaurant and maybe sit at a couple separate tables and it doesn't feel like we're so much a separate group kind of thing. Right. Um, and so the days are divided in between. We'll do a group activity and then there's always free time because as travelers and as women, somebody wants to go shopping for something, something, somebody else wants to go to an extra museum, somebody wants a spa treatment. So we do it that way. Right. And are there themes? I mean, if somebody is putting together their own trip, what are some good themes to follow, do you think, as a traveler in Italy? Well, what's so wonderful is there's so many choices and you could really go down a rabbit hole with your own passion. For example, if somebody, they're great cooking tours, if you really want to put yourself in for like a Mm. week of learning cooking in a particular region, I would say one of them that I write about in my book is Tuscan women cook 
and it hmm. uh, takes place in the Val d'Orcia area, which is around Montepulciano, Pienza, that beautiful area of Tuscany. And you learn from all the local nonas cooking right. lessons. So that's a great immersion activity. You know, I never would have thought of Tuscany for that because I don't know. I, I think I prefer Southern Italian. Oh, uh, Southern co- Italian food. More. Oh, yeah. oh, gosh. Well, they, they definitely have. We always do a cooking class where we learn to make gnocchi sorrentino, <laughs> which is so great. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about Italy that I think a lot of people don't know, and you're going to have to help me out with the exact date, but until what, 1850? 1861. 61. Close. Okay, I'm yeah. pretty close. Uh, it was not one country. You know, it was a very loose and often at war collection of principalities, uh, mostly principalities. There was the uh, Vatican lands. uh, And so uh, because of that, because it it was unified so much later than most of the rest of, of Europe, you really feel the differences going from region to region. It's absolutely true. It's it's really true. And and it used to be that people would just divide it north to south. But right. I mean the difference between Venetians uh and Milanese is very is big. You know, Milanese All right, are famous. Go ahead. What, what what's the difference? I wanna hear. Well, I would say Milan is so much about fashion and uh, glamour and you know, Viennese Actually, a lot of Italians say, you know, they're strange, you know, they're island people and they're really very (laughs) connected to nature, even though Mm. Venice, you see it as a city. I mean, they're subject to tides and winds and things like that. And so uh, they have that kind of, uh, you know, maritime tradition that's maybe a little bit more casual. Yeah, much more cat. No, absolutely. No, it's it's a couple of weeks ago. I had a wonderful guest on the show. He wrote a book about Garibaldi and uh, in the South, he came upon a lot of people who had uh, conspiracy theories about Garibaldi, that he had done it in not a great way, unifying the country because the South was kind of brought on, many felt, in a lesser position to the North. And the North has always been far richer than the South. The South has always had many more economic problems. In fact, I think I read once that if you were to divide Italy in two with a line under Rome, uh, above that line, north of that line, would be one of the most rich countries in Europe. And below that line is one of the poorest countries in Europe. Huh. I haven't heard that. (laughs) I mean, look what happened after 1861. Eventually, that is when the biggest um, immigration to the United States Mm. and South America and Canada happened. And I know that for most of the families that I know, they, they surely would have stayed if the economics were good for them, but they came to America. Right. And those were mostly Southern Italian. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, years ago, I did a tour. Uh, I led a tour to Sicily for listeners to our radio show, which was mostly in the New York City area. And 
I would say 50% of the people were on that tour because their grandparents or great-grandparents were Sicilian. Uh, yeah, oh, no, it was. Okay. It really was very, very special. So in looking at this time of year, we talked a little bit about the creches that you get uh, in Naples. What are some other Italian Christmas traditions that we may want to try at home? Oh, well, we can all enjoy Italian food at home, which is so great. And even you could go to Trader Giotto's and get panettone. <laughs> I would suggest going to an Italian specialty store. But as many of you know, panettone is the big bread. It's a, it's a like a cakey bread. Okay, uh, it's it's very feathery and it has raisins and sometimes candied fruit in it and it's a wonderful specialty of a holiday time i like to use it to make french toast is that, mm. Mm, that's interesting french toast. wow <laughs> how, how is it more traditionally used do you just cut it and eat it after a meal or is it yes and a lot of people have it for breakfast and sometimes just toast it with butter is really great um Yes, you know, or for your afternoon cafe break, it's it's wonderful, and oh, there's so many amazing. great Italian cookies. Like in the south, uh, my grandmother's house was always full of struffoli, these little honey balls that mm. were so great, and they're just a a Christmas time treat. And in Tuscany, they make ricciarelli in, in Siena which is this mm. almond cookie that's covered them with confectioner sugar. Oh, it's so good. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's incredible. And, it, you know, it is, as we were saying earlier, each region is so different from the next. Uh, do you have a favorite part of Italy? Everybody asks me that. <laughs> you know? Well, I have to say, you know, I feel so at home in the in the south because i see my relatives i but i yeah. this is why i write the book and i lead the tours because i love so many parts of it and one of my favorite things is just discover to get off the train and discover a new place and i in october was the first time i went to trieste which is oh. way up in the northeast uh in a region called Fruli Venezia Giulia that used to be part of Yugoslavia part of Austria so it has a, a very unique uh, also a maritime flavor and it, it's a beautiful place Trieste famous for uh coffee it's port town they import coffee they have a beautiful hmm. um centuries old coffee houses there so what can i say I love, i've I never love it up been down the boot so it's it's in the north is is it an alpine city no it's 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 a port town it's reached its two-hour train ride from venice and um it, what's it, it most famous for beyond the coffee it, it's famous for coffee it's famous for a lot of sailing races because it's on the on the sea which is really great and it's just it it attracts a lot an, an international uh following because it's long been very open to people of different religions and 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 uh, beliefs so uh it's, it's interesting it's fun. Yeah, when you said they imported coffee, well, I don't know why I thought the Alps. That would be hard to do 
in the Alps. Of course, it's a, a port city. I'd love to go. I, I think probably one of my favorites, I really fell in love with the island of Sicily. There's just, it, it's just such a oh. fascinating culture, mostly because everybody was there at some point in uh-huh. history. You know, you had the Normans, you had the Moors, you had, uh, you know, so many different uh, people invaded and would stay for a couple of hundred years. And so, you know, you see people with bright blonde hair and you think, okay, yeah, they probably have Norman ancestry. Uh, but it, it makes the food so interesting. And there's something so distilled about the uh-huh. Italian spirit in Sicily, I find. It seems like they, they gesture with their hands even more than on the mainland. <laughs> they, they yeah, speak. it's like supercharged Italy. It's true. Yeah. What's your it's favorite true. part of Sicily, would you say? Oh, gosh. You know, well, I l- really love the island of or- or- Ortigia, uh, mm. which is um, south of, of Siracusa. And it's this own little, like, islet so i i love being around the sea in italy that's pretty obvious what i'm talking about and uh, yes i mean beautiful bakeries and it's pretty much a pedestrian only little area and it's i i really love it i love the seafood of course lots of good pulpy octopus Mm, yeah gotta try Mm. it well susan it has been such a delight speaking with you And that's it for this week's show. As I've said in the past, we are now doing our initial taping of this show live on the app Call-In. You can get that on the App Store for free. And it's a good way if you'd like to talk to us, (laughs) or to me, I should say, to me and my guests, whatever guests I have. That's a good way to do it. Right now, we are taping each show at 6 p.m. on Thursday nights. That's 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And you are cordially invited to not only be in the audience, but also to come on and ask your travel questions and chat with me and whatever erudite, wonderful guests I have on for the week. All right, that's it. And may I wish those who celebrated a happy, happy holiday. See you next week. Change.